Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, my name is Tim Schwartz, and welcome to the Life After Blindness Spotlight. This is the first in a series of podcasts where I will interview someone connected to the blind and visually impaired community. Join me as we explore their journey with a life after blindness. This week's guest, Holly Anderson. Joining me this week for the Life After Blindness Spotlight is someone that uh, most podcast listeners should be familiar with. She is a self-proclaimed geek. She is a fantasy football champ, and she is one of the knights of the Mac Accessibility Roundtable. She is Holly Anderson. Welcome to the Life After Blindness Spotlight, Holly. Thanks. Glad to be here. Holly, let's um, go back a little bit. Uh, you were blind since birth, correct? Correct. Um, I was born three months premature, so I have retinopathy of prematurity, which is where your um, something about when you're born premature and they they put you in the incubators. Something about that process. Um, I was always told it was like too much oxygen, which is kind of a weird thing to think about, but like. It made it made my retinas partially detach, so that's what that means. I think that's my understanding I'm, anyway. Yeah, if I'm if I'm correct, I think that's something that was prevalent um, way back when. Because I know some uh, people that were born, I believe, in the in the 40s and 50s. That was something that was common mm-hmm. as well, um, where you know there was incubator babies that. Uh, had gotten too much oxygen and had the same or similar kind of situation. So yeah, I, I'm familiar with that. That happening. You said you were born three months premature. Was there any other health issues or just the blindness? No, I was small, so I was in the hospital for like nine weeks. But I've heard of worse cases. So I think my case was not. I mean, I didn't have any other health issues other than the blindness. So and being small. So okay. Now, where did you grow up? Where were you born? Um, I was born in Nashville like um Vanderbilt Nashville. I grew up in a small town um about an hour and a half from Nashville. And I went to school because that town didn't have a program for visually impaired kids in in that school. So I went to school like a half an hour away in the neighboring town, which is like a bigger city and they had a program already in place. My parents had thought about putting me in uh Tennessee School for the Blind, but they decided that um, they wanted to mainstream me, so that's what they did. So you mainstreamed from the very beginning, then? Yeah, yeah, all the way through until high school and then college. So. So now, growing up, did you have other blind people or other blind kids that you could relate to or or, or play with, or did were were you, uh, you know, were you associated with any other blind people? 
my parents were in a, a blind parents group and so there were kids when I was really little. I was never really super close with any of them. Like I don't remember any of them very clearly. And then going through school, there were a few other visually impaired kids and most, but they were all, none of them were totally blind. I was the only totally blind kid. There was one other kid that was a braille, a braille user like me, but everybody else was, had varying degrees of, of sight and they were all boys too. So that made it a little bit difficult, obviously, when you're little. You're like, ew, boys, don't talk to me. Um, <laughs> so, so not really. I mean, we, were, we weren't really close in the... I mean, we were, we were close in the fact that, like, we you know, saw each other every day and there was a small group of us, but we weren't really, like, particularly close, I would say. So, so now growing up no. at that time in Nashville basically being separated, you know, I mean, other than these, you know, few boys you're talking about, but being mainstreamed at that point, or, you know, growing up there in Nashville, were there difficulties or obstacles to getting accessibility or getting what you needed for school or, or, you know, how did that work? Not that I really knew. Like, obviously there were the obstacles of textbooks. Um, sometimes, you know, when the textbooks were new, you wouldn't get the braille ones right away and then when you get the braille ones they were you know sometimes delayed and obviously in several volumes so you had to figure out okay what are we going to be talking about in class tomorrow so I can know which volume of the textbook to bring because te my teachers would often skip around. I mean there were there were things that had to be adapted obviously especially as I got older into high school math, al algebra and especially geometry, were particularly challenging for me because I'm not very good in math. <laughs> um, and, you know, when you throw shapes and, and things, angles, and it, it gets sort of confusing. I had a really good geometry teacher who would help me after school and stuff, so that helped a lot. Um, so there were adaption, adapt, adaptations that had to be made, but nothing overly complicated, really, that I couldn't deal with. Now, how old were you when you started to learn Braille? Um, kindergarten. Like, when, when the kids were learning their letters, I was learning the Braille alphabet. So, it's kind of like, it was kind of that, um, that scale. Like, when, when, and I learned, I learned some of the print letters too, but, you know, as the, in kindergarten, we were learning our alphabet in print, and I was learning the alphabet in Braille. That makes sense, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, now, in that process, you know, growing up through elementary school and being mainstreamed uh, and being blind, obviously that that automatically makes you, quote, different. Mm -hmm. uh, and we know how kids can sometimes be uh, either very welcoming and very empathetic and sometimes not so much. Uh, what were your experiences like with kids growing up? Did, was there any, uh, you know, issues or anything to overcome there or, or did that go pretty well? You know, it went pretty well. Um, I really... I wasn't bullied. I know some people were. I know lots of people were. I was really lucky in that regard. Like I had, for the most part, people just accepted me. You know, kids are kids are really good, left to their own devices. Kids are really welcoming and really good about that. Um, so I really didn't have any bad experiences that, that come to mind. I think sometimes people didn't really know how to relate. So I didn't have like a huge group of friends or anything. That also came from probably going to school a half an hour away, so I could never be around for, like, after school and weekends and things like that. But um, I had friends, and I, you know, I had a good... Like, I can't really complain. The kids were kids were good. I did have um, 
because I, I don't really even know why, but I was drawn at a really early age, I was drawn to cheerleading. Oh, really? Yeah. And I really wanted to do that. And so I did, um, I would, my mom would videotape the cheers and I would learn, we'd go home and I would learn them all. But I think there was, there was one girl and I was, I still to this day call her my nemesis because <laughs> we couldn't stand each other. I couldn't stand her. She couldn't stand me. And she just decided that she was going to be annoyed at me. And I don't even know why. Maybe it's because How old I, were you at this time? Fifth, fifth grade, 11. Okay. Um, maybe it was because I got extra attention, you know, being blind, you know, I would have to have extra help. Um, and they were, they were, we were, they were always changing things at the last minute and they were always, for, and cause I would learn things and it would be really hard for me to change because you sort of learn it by rote. I sort of learned, you know, the movements and the cheers by rote. So it'd be really difficult to change it at the last minute for me just cause I would get into muscle memory. Sure. And then I would forget, oh, we're doing it this way. And so they would get yelled at when they would do that because it would, or and they would run off and leave me in the middle of the field. We'd have our, our, um, halftime where the, all the cheerleaders go in the middle of the field and do like a half, or did like a halftime. We did a cheer for their side and they did a cheer for us. And then, you know, you, you went back to your, your sides. Um, so they would all leave me in the middle of the field. That happened, you know, several times. <laughs> so there were issues, there were hiccups. And I think, you know, they would, I don't want to say yell, but they would kind of yell at them and don't, you know, don't forget Holly and stuff. And I think she sort of resented that more than some of the other kids did. But that's probably the only really bad experience I had. But, you know, how cheerleaders can be anyway. So I think she just had issues. <laughs> I'm not touching that. But yeah. uh, <laughs> now, did you find during that time, because it sounds like between you know, some of the friends that you say, you know, you had uh, around you. Um, and with the school and, and the making accommodations you know, that they had to make and, and your parents making that in you know, a very specific decision, the mainstream, you sounded like or sounds like you had a good core you know, group of people around you for, for advocating for what you needed. So did you find that that was the case? I mean, was there a lot of advocates around you to help you do that? Or did you have to do some advocating for yourself or kind of a combination of, of the two? Yeah, especially in... in um early years and, and up through high school. I had a lot of good people around me who advocated for me. Um, I had some issues in college, but we'll probably get to that later, um, where I had to sort of go to bat for myself. And that was difficult, but I did it. I'm not good with confrontation, but when I'm pushed to the point where I feel like I have to, I will do it. So, but yeah, for the so, most part, I had good. I had good people around me. Do you ever have any, you know, specific situations where a teacher or, you know, somebody at school or, or some something you want to be a part of, it just, just couldn't work out or wasn't going to work out or did, for the most part, it just, it just was able to be, you know, accomplished one way or another? I was a music ed major for three years in college and I never really necessarily wanted, I didn't necessarily want to teach, but I really didn't want to do performance. I didn't think I was good enough for performance and that was the only other option. So I went into music ed and the third year we started doing things like directing and conducting and that sort of thing. And that was difficult because, um, you know, I don't know, like I'd been in choir and stuff since I was 11, but I, I, or 12, um, 
but I don't know what a, a director does. You know, I sing when it's time to sing and I stop and, you know, <laughs> so it, that was really difficult for me. And, uh, I wanted to do private lessons and I wanted to sort of have my choir director work with me one-on-one -on -one so I could figure out what needs to happen. You know, what do I need to do? And they weren't really working with me. They were making me do these, like, I was in like a lab where with other people who were taking private lessons and we were supposed to direct the voice class, which was like the instrumental students. They would have the voice class where they did vocal techniques and that sort of thing. So we would bring in these pieces of music and we'd have to direct them and cue them and, and all that stuff. So I would have to, um, you know, do this. And I hated it, hated it because I just felt like I'm out of my depth here. This is not, you know, I felt completely overwhelmed. I felt completely like out of my depth. Um, and, you know, I went to, because I would have to, I would have to memorize each line, basically, because you were supposed to cue the people when, because you're supposed to cue the altos when it was time for the altos to sing and the sopranos, you know, you know, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I was a music major myself. Yeah. So, I <laughs> so, and I felt completely overwhelmed because like I would have to, I think, you know, the way they wanted me to do it was they wanted me to memorize each person's, you know, line, each person's. Oh, wow. And, and I would have probably, like, probably that would be the way I'd have to do it. So I'd have to braille out each person's part, which would take a while because I'd have to have somebody read it to me and I have to braille it out by hand. Um, and, you know, I went to the head of the department and I said, this isn't working. Like, this is giving me serious anxiety and I am like completely overwhelmed and like, I just don't feel like I can do this. This is not what I signed up for. I wanted private lessons. I didn't want to have to do this yet. I didn't feel prepared for this yet. And she said, well... I just think you're not working hard enough. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. So, and, and that's the thing that made me upset was these people knew me. Like I, the choir that I was in from was a, a children's choir that was through the university. So I'd worked with these people since I was like 12, you know? And when I came to them and said, I'm having a problem, I expected more compassion than I felt like they, so I went home and I wrote a letter to the, just kind of, I mainly wrote it because I wanted to outline my feelings and try and get on paper how I was feeling. And, you know, um, here's what I would say to the people if I could say it out loud, you know? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I said, you know, I, I just feel like I, my my needs aren't being met. You know, I have a right for accommodations. And I actually talked to, um, there was a, a guy at another university who was blind. And I called him at, he was head of their disabilities department. And I called him and I said, okay, what are my rights here? Because I wasn't sure if I was just being unreasonable, you know, and, and wanting something that was unreasonable. And he said, no, you have a right if you feel like you're not, your needs aren't being met. So I wrote this letter and, you know, basically said, I was so angry. And I said, you know, if, here's what I want. I want to not have to do this, this conducting, this class thing anymore. And I don't want that to affect my grade. And, you know, because I signed up for private lessons. I wanted private lessons. And if that doesn't happen, then I'm going to take legal action. <laughs> sure, right. And so I went to my disability services with this letter and I explained the situation. And they said, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to give copies of this letter to, like, the, the department, the music department and, and the choir director and stuff. And, you know, go from there. And I was like, okay. Because at this point I was like, you know, I have to do something. I can't, because I was like getting anxiety. I was getting sick to my stomach. And so I was like, I can't deal with this situation the way it is. So they eventually let me, you know, let me do it. Let me finish out the semester without doing the 
the class conducting, and then I was cha- at that point I changed my major anyway. So I wasn't going to change it to. I changed it to management and information systems, which was like the business management with computer emphasis. Oh, um, okay. So I changed anyway. So I did the. It didn't matter. You know, the choir stuff didn't matter. The directing didn't matter anymore because I wasn't doing that. So I think they probably let me off the hook for that reason. But I just... Because, like I said, I don't like confrontation anyway. So it wasn't very much fun. But I was just so frustrated. <laughs> I can understand. So, absolutely. Um, that was the, you out quickly. Yeah. That was the only time that I really had a lot of issues where I had to be like... So I was pretty lucky, really, in the grand scheme of things. Definitely, yeah. So... So... From what you've told told us, the love for music was from a young age. You said you were in choirs from the age of twelve forward, mm-hmm. and studied music and you know, sang in the choir. And uh, then you transitioned to yeah. the IT and the computer side. Was your interest in computers always there, or was that something that you just decided in college? Where, where did that come from? Um, no, it wasn't all. Well, I liked playing games um, on computers. I think most people do. Sure. And, you know, we had computers in school, but I found them more frustrating than anything because I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, I grew up with DOS back in the back of the day <laughs> right? <laughs> when dinosaurs were on the earth, you know, and it was complicated. Um, and we also had an Apple IIe. So I sort of didn't know. I knew enough to know that I I knew enough to get myself in trouble. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to pretend like I do. But I never really had the desire to learn more because I was always so focused on music and, you know, doing that because that was where I thought I was going to end up. And then I didn't have a computer at home. I only had the ones at school. So I didn't have one at home to play around with until I was 15. And I got one at home. And so I played with it a little bit more. But I still didn't feel that pull until um, in 1998 when I was going off to college, I got a computer from Vogue Rehab. And that had Windows on it, Windows 95. And and still I wasn't like, I was playing around with it because it was a new toy, but I wasn't completely enamored with it until I got the internet. And then I started doing things on the internet, like chatting with people. And um, I remember one night I was using ICQ, which was a, a chat messenger program. Yeah. Um, and... Not a lot of, I found out later that not a lot of blind people use this program because it was kind of difficult, but that was the program that this other girl that was blind was using, and her, and she came over, like, she lived close by, and she came over, and, and they were showing me, you know, how to use ICQ and how to set it up and everything, so I, I was using it, but the problem with ICQ was, it was like a, a window that was on, like, the right side of your screen, and it okay. kind of it kind of hovered there all the time. This was before you could eventually you could hide it and bring it up with keystrokes and stuff. But this was like the early version. And if your mouse got off that window, you couldn't use it. Any, I couldn't use it anymore. So I had to figure out like how to move. And I I sort of played it like teach. I taught myself that you know the jaws cursor is actually the mouse cursor. And you know I sort of figured out if I move my jaws cursor, then I just you know kind of learning. And I was like, you know, maybe I like this whole tech thing. <laughs> and uh, just like teaching myself, you know, like I was motivated to learn because I wanted to do this internet thing. And I just found it kind of interesting. And then um, a few, a couple years later, I started wanting to use IRC. And the only really accessible 
IRC program at the time was Microsoft Chat, and I didn't like it because it changed all the the terms around. It wasn't, it didn't feel like authentic IRC for me. <laughs> so um, I wanted to use Merck, which was a, a chat IRC program. And I wrote, and I started looking at, you know, JAWS scripting, because I was like, there's got to be a way to make this read automatically. Because you couldn't really, it wouldn't read, it would read the whole screen. It wouldn't, you couldn't make it read automatically, like the incoming chat messages, you couldn't make them read automatically. So I started looking at JAWS scripting and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this work. <laughs> and I did. And it wasn't anything that anybody else could have used because I used like frames and I used all this stuff that made it like only work with my system. Like no one else could okay. ever get it to work. Right. Because of the way, it, I don't know. I just sort of hacked it together with, with scotch tape and and, you know, over <laughs> bands, but it still worked. And so it was just a combination of like, I'm going to solve this problem. And, and I did. And then the more I did that, I'm like, you know, I kind of like this tech stuff. And so, you know, when I started being disillusioned with, with music ed and started thinking about changing my major, I was like, I want to do something tech related. And I really wanted to do computer science is what I really kind of was drawn to. But okay, yeah. but our school was and I didn't want to change schools because I was, you know, settled in at that school and I just didn't want to change schools. Our school had um a really good engineering program and the computer science department was part of the engineering department. So you had to sort of get an engineering degree as a computer science degree. But the problem was, in order to get that engineering degree, you had to take six semesters of calculus. Oh my goodness. So I was like, um, negative. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, <laughs> no. not so much. So, so I went for the business management, which was not what I really wanted to do, because I'm not really a business-oriented person. Um, but that's what I ended up going into, so. It was business management? Yeah. Okay, well. With computer information systems that's what i did so now, coming out of college with that then in mind um you know what did you do from there was you know did you what did you apply that to or where, where did you go next um i ended up shortly after i got out of school i ended up going for a guide dog and i actually wanted to work there like i really wanted to work in michigan because at that point, Darcy and I had met, and I was trying to figure out a way to work close to where he was. So when I, was this? About what year? 2005. Five, okay. Yeah. So um, when I was there, I, I, you know, applied for a job, and uh, I didn't end up getting it. So, I don't know, I, I never really used it much. Um, I kind of did a few things here and there, but I never, I never found, I never found work. I tried, you know, looking for jobs, but nothing ever really spoke to me. So eventually what I ended up doing is, um, actually a couple of years ago, I, a friend of, a friend of ours, Josh on the Max Disability podcast was like, you know, I could teach you guys how to program. <laughs> Cause I, I always wanted to program. That was kind of where my passion was. Like I wanted to do computer programming, but I never felt like I was good enough for like, mainstream like I never like I had the basics down but I felt like I didn't really grasp it and so he like he was teaching us for a while and I got really I got good at it I actually did a program 
last year from my dad for his work for like um, an auction type thing. So, oh really? Okay. Yeah. So I got I got like I'm getting it. I'm still learning. I'm still teaching myself, but like eventually I want to write programs for like the phone, the app, the app store and stuff like that. That's where I want to go with it. So I think it'll be really interesting. It'd be something different and be something very exciting to do, especially at this point, you know, Yeah. to go to write programs. Are you looking to write just uh, programs or apps maybe specific to the iPhone or probably apps. I want to do games is kind of where I feel like I want to, the area I want to, even though it's kind of a crowded market. I think I sure. could make things interesting. Absolutely. So now taking a step back there then, so it's 2005, you're talking about programming with Josh. For those who don't know, Josh DeLineCourt, who hosts the Max Accessibility Roundtable podcast. Uh, and then Darcy, you mentioned, mentioned uh, Darcy Bernard, who's also on that podcast and a plethora of other past and present podcasts and endeavors with you, mm-hmm. uh, as well as your current boyfriend. How did, how did you and Darcy meet? We met online. We had um, a mutual friend had set up a email list, and like just friends of his that were kind of like he kind of thought would be cool together, you know, just like a group of people to chat. And he and I were on that same list, and we just kind of started talking. And I was starting to get into Linux because um, that was the summer we met, sort of the summer before I was changing my major. And so I started to kind of look into Linux because, like, well, I want to learn Linux because, you know, I think that'll help me in my, my new major. And so he was already into Linux, so he was helping with me with that. And we kind of just started talking then and hit it off. So Very nice. And then I don't think it was too far after that or too long after that that uh, you guys joined up with. Now, was the, the Max Disability Podcast first with Josh, or did you guys do your other website and podcast first? Yeah. How, how did that go? We did, we did Darcy and Holly Darcy and Holly show in 2005. That was our first podcast. And we did that because we kind of, like, we, we started listening to podcasts, and we started thinking, you know, maybe we could do this podcasting thing. And a month later, I went into Leader Dog to get my dog, Walker. And we chronicled that every day, which was kind of an interesting experience because you know after it was was exhausting um sure and it was very raw because i remember the the first day you know i got you know walker and i was completely overwhelmed because you know i had never really done this before and i was like yeah so i don't remember what i said but everybody talked about how you are you okay like you sound really because i was like completely overwhelmed so those exist somewhere we should probably put those up I think we, I think Darcy's um, retooling the website, but we'll probably be putting those back up because th- those are fun to go back and listen to because it's just, it's interesting to, because we were doing it over the phone too. So like the, the way you record podcasts has changed completely in 10 years too, but. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. Actually longer has, than has, that now, 12 yes, years. It has, right. So. Yeah, I think it was be an interesting listen just for the experience of it, the audio of it, and just, you know. Yeah, there's something to be gained, I think, from listening to something like that. So I think that'd be really interesting to listen to. Mm-hmm. So, so you we, guys did Darcy and Holly, and yeah. then moved on to a couple other things. Yeah, um, we decided because we were both getting Macs. Um, we kept hearing about the Mac, and at first I was like, "Well, you know, I don't know. Is it really going to be, you know, all that it's promising to be?" And so I was skeptical. But then I, I had a friend who had a Mac, and I went and I looked at it, and I was like, "Okay." <laughs> I want one of these. So 
So we got our Max in 2006. And we're like, let's do screenless switchers to, you know, kind of talk about our experiences from switching from Windows, you know, and, and do that. And then we met Josh, well, because, yeah, I think we met Josh through screenless switchers. And so he was on our podcast. And the first, the first podcast where we talk about the voiceover on the iPhone in 2009 was on screenless switchers, which that still exists. Because um, I, I actually posted it on the five-year anniversary, I think, of voiceover on the iPhone, I posted that, because it was fun to listen to that, because we were all so excited. So that, we started sort of doing screenless switchers with everybody that was on the beginning of Mac accessibility. It sort of morphed into, um, the screenless switchers roundtable episodes sort of morphed into Mac accessibility, and then for a while we were doing, I think we were doing some screenless switchers and some Mac accessibility, and then eventually we just changed over to Mac accessibility. So it's sort of like... It sort of started out as screenless switchers and then morphed into Mac accessibility, <laughs> sort of like organically, I think. Gotcha. Um, and then Josh ended up hosting it because it was on his website and it was his idea, so he hosted it. But we all kind of like founded it together. So. And that's been going now for a good almost ten years, then, right? Or no more than that. Probably. I'm not really sure. At least since 2009. So oh, probably okay. probably five, ten, five, six years. No, six, seven years. I can't do math anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but so, at least that amount of time, yeah, right? Yeah, for a while anyway. Exactly. So at this point, with Max Accessibility running for so many years, and you guys do that, I think, once or twice a month now, correct? Twice a month? Twice a month, every other Thursday. So sometimes, okay. however that falls, but it's every every other Thursday. So what do you see going forward? Obviously, Max Accessibility is going very well, going strong all these years going forward. Uh, what else is on the horizon for, for you? I, we do want to do more Geekology, which is kind of our pop culture. Darcy and I do um, our own pop. It's like a pop culture podcast. We kind of just talk about things that we're interested in, um, things that we think would be, you know, interesting podcast things to talk about sometimes we have other people on we've done game of thrones we've done um sherlock we've done the first two seasons of black mirror which we haven't we haven't watched the last season yet when we watch that we're gonna do that um we've done divergent we've done different things so it's kind of like our what we're happy what we happen to be really interested in this i did hamilton of course, mm, of course. <laughs> um and uh so it's just kind of stuff that we're really passionate about and interested in, and, and we want to bring that back up. Also, I want to learn Swift. That's kind of where, I, you know, Swift is the new language, and I, I know some Objective-C, but I don't know it enough that I feel like I can't learn something else. So before I get completely enmeshed in Objective-C, I want to learn Swift. Um, and I, and trying to figure out right now the best way to do that. Um, and so... Eventually, I'd like to start writing applications, and I'm doing, I sell um, Perfectly Posh, which is like a skincare, um, a line of skincare. So that's, I'm making extra money doing that, and so that's kind of where, that's kind of the the state of the, the, the state of the union right now, I guess, <laughs> where so things are right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> right so, at this minute, so. So through your life, you've had many different passions, and it sounds like even at this point in your life, you find ways to combine them all from uh, music and uh, pop culture, the, you know, things that you love in pop culture and music, 
to reading. I know, you know, there's things you like to read and then the tech that you've gotten into, obviously, and your passion for that, you know, clearly shows with my accessibility. And so all these passions that you have with music and uh, tech and everything else, there's one other, other, other passion that, that you know I have to talk with you about before <laughs> I let you go. One last thing that I have to bring up uh, as a nod to our, our good friends in the LabCast Fantasy Football League. That's, that's been right. going now for a few years, uh, even prior to the podcast relaunching. So you, you came on this last year, but you had played for a couple of years before that, or at least a year before that, and then joined our league. So talk to me about getting into fantasy football. Fantasy football is something that I never would have thought that I would have been interested in because I have never really been a sports person. Um, I did play t-ball growing up and I liked that, but I, I never, and I would go to my cousin's games and, you know, get in, but like, as far as like wanting to watch it on TV or be interested in it at all, like I was a cheerleader and I didn't understand football. So football was never something on my radar. My dad wasn't really into it. So it wasn't something I even watched growing up. And then my cousins were, we were at like a family thing and they were, you know, talking about their fantasy football. And I was like, they were like, you know, teasing each other. And, and I'm like, that looks like fun. Cause I'm always looking for things to, cause they're like my, I mean, they're as close to brothers as I have. I'm an only child. So I'm always kind of looking for things that I can connect with them. Cause I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of the outlier in my family. Like I'm into, you know, music, I'm into tech, I'm into things that nobody else in my family is interested in. So I'm always kind of looking for ways to connect with them. And they were like, you know, having fun with this. And, and then the next year they were, my, my cousin's like, you know, I'm starting, I'm thinking of starting a family league. And he was talking to somebody else. Um, I can't, I think it was my other cousin or something. And I was like, Hey, you said you're starting a family league. How can I get in on this? And he was like, well, if you wanted, because his, his wife was also thinking of getting in and she wanted to try it. And so I was like, well, she's going to try it. So I'm like, okay. So I did. And I, I was like, okay, I don't know anything about this. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm doing this fantasy football thing. I know nothing about football. Um, I knew Peyton Manning because, you know, that name. And I'd watched a few Super Bowls here and there. Because, sure. And Peyton Manning was from UT, so... Um, you know, that name was, was something that I'd heard tossed about. And that was probably it. And I knew, like, I knew what a football looked like. <laughs> like, I had, I had nothing. And so, and so I was like, I started watching these fantasy football shows on ESPN. And I, I was like, the first week I was, like, taking notes. And I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this football game. I'm going to figure this out. And I watched the football game. And it was like watching somebody speaking another language. I was like, what are they talking about? And it was on TV too, so it wasn't like on the radio where they were describing everything. So I called my cousin. I'm like, okay, you got to explain this to me. If I'm going to do this fantasy football thing, I got to find out. I got to know what I'm watching. So, you know, he was like, okay, here's what a first down is. Okay. So I was like, okay. And then I was like, but what's, what's, you know, they say like second and eight or second and nine. Like, what's that mean? And he was like, so here's what that means. And so we were like having this, this football primer <laughs> on FaceTime. The football 101. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like reading the Wikipedia entry, which I wouldn't recommend by the way, cause it really doesn't help. And so, you know, I just kind of got interested in it and, and then, um, I didn't, I didn't, I did pretty well the first year. I came in like third or something and I really got into it. And then you had said on Varel that you were looking for fantasy football players. And I was like, well, 
I don't know, should I do that? Because it's kind of like, like I'm not super serious. I'm like, I'm more serious than some, but I'm not like, you know, super serious and I'm not like crazy into football still. Like I like doing the fantasy stuff, but even like, even now, I'm not really sure that I'm, I'm one person who's going to sit down every Sunday and like watch a football game, you know? I still find it sort of boring at times, <laughs> which I know is terrible. Like, I don't know. I like the fantasy aspect. I like, I like the challenge of trying to figure out who's good to play every week and, and listening to the stats and, you know, figuring out, like, it's, it's sort of the geeky aspect of it that I, I think that I'm drawn to. Um, but the actual sport, the actual sitting down and watching it, I'm like, eh. I always have good intentions. I'm like, okay, today I am going to sit down and I'm going to turn on the radio and I'm going to watch the ti- listen to the Titans play. And then 10 minutes later, I'm like, eh, I'm going to look at Twitter now. <laughs> I just, I can't focus on it. But I still love the fantasy. And then so, you know, I got into your league and I was like, there's 12 people in this league. There is no way. Like, if I, if I come in last, if I don't come in last, I'm going to be doing well. So I came in first. As I was going to say, for clarifications how. for people listening at home, how is he, how is he? Holly Anderson, the <laughs> legacy, is the reigning champion of the Labcast Fantasy Football League. So, yeah, tell me, tell me how this happens. You go from I not knowing know. what you're doing, not being comfortable, not even listening to the games. <laughs> I still know. to a competitive league that's been going on for several years. And uh, with a 12-1 and regular season record, wipe out everybody in the playoffs. And you are the reigning champ. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know how that happens. <laughs> and and I don't know. Like I said, I still don't really like. I don't have the passion for the game that a lot of people have. I will watch the Super Bowl though, just because. Well, sure. Yeah, everybody does. Um. But I don't know. I just. I don't. I don't know how that happened. I really don't know how that happened. But I. I started listening to podcasts and. Um, I had someone else on the team was helping me out a little bit. Like, here's something to think about, you know, players you might want to pick up. So I think you just sort of pick up knowledge along the way. Um, I don't know. I think I got lucky. There were a lot of injuries this year. And I, injuries, I didn't and yeah. I didn't have a lot of injuries. So I think that helped. <laughs> Definitely helped. But as, as we've discussed uh, off the podcast, you know, just drafting well and playing the waiver wire correctly, you know, reading about injuries and hoping you don't have any injuries and that luck, uh, you yeah. know, just the study aspect of it, the, the techie geeky aspect of it. I think, as you talked about a minute ago, you know, that that helps if you you know are doing that with fantasy. So, um, so yeah, I, I think on behalf of the rest of the league, you guys all know who you are. Um, you know, <laughs> congratulations to being the, uh, the Labcast Fantasy Football champ this year. I know everybody's gunning for you for next year. So uh, it's been a lot of fun having you in that league and uh, participating. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens going forward. Um, yeah, now everybody's going to go after me. So I don't, think I'll, I don't think I'll do as well next year. <laughs> definitely, definitely a target on you once you become <laughs> yeah. champion. Absolutely. So that being said, um, Holly, this has been a great talk, and I, I think that uh, we've learned a lot about uh, Holly Anderson, the, the music lover, the Apple lover, the, the techie, uh, the Mac lover, and uh, I, I think this has been a good insight into uh, you know who you are and, and what you're all about and, and where you've come from and uh, you know your experiences with your blindness. So I, I just want to say thank you so much for for joining me on uh, the Life After Blindness podcast and uh, being my first guest on the Spotlight. Well, thanks for having me, and hopefully you, you know, it wasn't too boring. 
no, I think it was great. I think uh, I think people will really get a lot out of this uh, conversation. And uh, yeah, so I appreciate it. And thanks so much. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.